0: Come to that Bible study. You know, Genesis el- Genesis one through eleven is just an incredible book because it's foundational to our whole life as Christians. You know, in the book of Genesis, we we find out why why we do marriage and family the way we do. It's in Genesis. Why we wear clothes. That's in Genesis. Uh, it's, it's all there. Our our communities, our cities. I mean. The foundational works of God's plan for mankind is found in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, so I'm jealous. I can come, okay, as long as I babysit part-time. And then, trailblazers. If you are part of our church and you are 55 and over, we have a group called the SBC Trailblazers, and we are going to begin our fall... uh, event this on September 26 Thursday there's a sign up sheet out in the foyer this includes a dinner and a time of fellowship and uh, a special speaker this year is Jeff Gilpin our Awana missionary and then also women's retreat September 20 21 and 22 it's the stuff is out there to sign up it looks like a pretty good group signed up so far and where's the retreat going to be this year Zephyr Cove, okay. So, uh, ladies, it's a great time to spend a weekend away with your sisters in Christ and, and get your husband to watch the kids for the weekend. It's, it's really good, right? Right, Jesse? You ready for that? I don't know if Jesse's going to be really ready because Jesse's a little older today than he was the last time you saw him. He turned 41 today. And we want to wish you a happy, happy Happy birthday. So give him a big hug around the neck and tell him happy birthday on your way out this morning. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, want to follow along, raise your hand. The ushers are passing out Bibles. Anybody need a Bible? Put your hand up, keep it up. One over here. Jeanette Conradson, where's your Bible? You left it at home? Over there in that corner, Terry, and then back over to this corner. <laughs> That's all you needed was to get a hard time from me, right? I remember an old preacher saying one time, going to church without your Bible is like Grandpa going to eat corn on the cob without his teeth. (laughs) So, right there beside you. Anybody over here? I thought I saw another hand over there. All right. Thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning. To Galatians chapter 1, Pastor Jesse has given us an introduction the last couple weeks into the book of Galatians. Wow! If you have not heard the introduction, I encourage you to go up online and listen to it. I'll tell you what, the first week I just sat here and tears just began to run down my cheeks as he talked about the incredible, magnificent, wonderful grace of God. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing like, we used to sing when I was a child in our church, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin, where shall my, how shall my tongue describe it, and where shall its praise begin? And that wonderful grace of Jesus, and that's what this book is about, and I can't wait to get deeper into it. So this morning, stand with me, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, We're going to read them together, standing as we honor God's word by standing. The title in this paragraph in my Bible is, No Other Gospel, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father in heaven, as we open once again this precious, precious book written by the Apostle Paul under the leading of your Holy Spirit, the truths of this book are timeless truths as true today as they were the day they were written. I pray that our eyes would be open our hearts would be ready to receive these timeless truths that we would be ready to let this word have its way in our lives as your Holy Spirit would bring it let us hear the instruction that is for the church that we may be Evermore conformed and shaped into the image of our Savior and then be his witnesses in this locale in which you have placed us. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray once again that you would touch these lips of clay and let the words that come forth be your words. We praise Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated before his conversion on the Damascus Road the Apostle Paul who was at that time Saul of Tarsus had spent his adult life as a Pharisee striving to please God by living a scrupulous life according to the law of Moses and the tradition of the elders. The traditions of the elders were were writings that had been added to the law of Moses. And many times Jesus, when he rebuked the Pharisees, it was not because of their lack of keeping the law of Moses, it was putting the tradition of the elders higher than the law of Moses. And the the law of Moses was the Torah. Then we've got the Mishnah and the Talmuds, which were other writings along with the Torah. And the Pharisees were scrupulous in the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders. Paul's confidence was in his heritage and in his ability to keep the law. In fact, this is what he told the Philippians. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's according to the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That is an incredible verse. And it gives us Paul's confidence before God. And it was all in himself. It was in his ability to pull it off. It was his ability to do. Well, that all changed for him the day he met Jesus on the Damascus road. His working for righteousness came to a screeching halt the day that he met Jesus. And what he discovered through Christ was a righteousness not of his own doing, a righteousness that had nothing to do with his own efforts, but a righteousness or a right standing before God, if you would, that comes through faith and faith alone. In the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel went from this gospel of works righteousness to a gospel that was rooted in the free grace of God that was extended to mankind through Christ Jesus. He wrote, and you know, this is one of those verses that I can't read it enough. And when I do, something just wells up within me. For by grace you have been saved. By the unmerited favor of God, you have been saved. How? Through faith. By grace alone, through faith alone. And then look what he says. Just in case you, you want to get high and mighty and think you had something to do with it, read the next line. And this is not of your doing. It's a gift of God. You know, this takes me back when Paul wrote the Ephesians. Back in the first chapter, he says, you were chosen by God in Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. Before the cosmos was ever spoken into existence. Your name was already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works that no one may boast. We'll never be able to stand before God like Paul just stood before the Philippians and say, I'm here today because I. I'm here today because I. I did it. I worked. I obeyed. I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. The work of God in Christ Jesus is so complete and so pure and so full and so powerful that we will not stand before God in any way, shape, or form boasting of our contribution to the journey. All of Paul's contribution in the flesh. He says in another place in the book of Philippians, he said, everything I had compared with what I have now, is scubalon. And the word scubalon means animal feces. His whole pedigree was worth no more than a pile of dung before God. But the grace of God through Jesus Christ was everything. Grace through faith. Paul believed, he came to believe that there was no way that man through his good deeds or his rule keeping could earn favor with God. All he could do was throw himself on the mercy of God through an act of faith and receive what God freely offered. Justification through faith by the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. On our behalf. Receiving what God has done through Christ. Now as Pastor Jesse has mentioned in the last couple of weeks, and he's already stated, when Paul moved on from Galatia, the Judaizers moved in. And they came adding a twist of their own to the gospel that Paul had preached. Paul called it a different gospel. He said it was no gospel at all. It was the gospel of Jesus plus. Jesus plus. And the plus was, well, you must be circumcised. You must keep the law of Moses. You must observe the feast and the new moons and the Sabbaths. They would say, yes, Jesus died for your sins, but to stay in right standing before God or to earn extra credit with God... You must do all these things. And so there was a list of the things to do to earn the extra credit, to stay in grace. Early in my Christian walk, my wife and I were part of a congregation in Jacksonville, North Carolina, uh, that was very, 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 very Armenian. In fact, so Armenian, you were lucky if you could stay saved for more than a week at a time. And every Sunday night was called the evangelistic service where the gospel was preached again and people got saved all over again. And that preacher, he would preach and preach and preach until the altars were full and the pews were empty. And boy, if, you say you, if you're the lone ranger sitting out there, you're going... And then you start thinking, you know, I did... I, uh, oh, if I died right now, I'd go straight to hell! And, and we lived under that. We lived under that. We were saved by grace, but we were being sustained by our own efforts, and we were being sustained by our own works. It was a horrible place to live. It was truly a horrible place to live. This whole thing was discussed for some extracurricular reading. Read the 15th chapter of Acts, because this this was the main emphasis of the first church council in Acts chapter 15. To become a Christian, do I need to become a Jew? To be a Christian, do I need to keep the Jewish law? To be a Christian, do I need to uh, obey the, the dietary customs and the feasts and the new moons and the Sabbaths? And the answer, unequivocally, that came out of that first church council was no. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, here's the problem in the eyes of the Judaizers. They thought God's, that Paul's gospel was too easy. It's too easy. And you know, there's people today that even think that. Well, it's, all I have to do is believe. I tell you, I used to be in that ballpark. But today I know that when grace truly breaks upon the heart, It'll no longer be, Lord, how much can I get away with and still make it? It'll be, Lord, how far can I stay from sin? And how close can I stay for you? Stay to you because of the overwhelming gift of God's grace in our lives. But to the Judaizers, this was too easy. This was too easy. They said that Paul had made it so to ingratiate himself with the people. I'm going to give them a gospel. It'll be easy. I'll give them that. And so that's what they said. And to that, Paul said that what the Judaizers brought, that their gospel was no gospel at all. In fact, he went on to say something interesting that we think we need to look at again. This is Paul speaking. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one, We preach to you, let him be a curse. The the Greek word here is anathema. It is a divine curse. This is the curse you don't want. You don't want this one. Uh, Eugene Peterson in The Message put it this way, and I like this. Let me be blunt. If one of us, if one of us, he's talking about his original crew, even an angel from heaven, Were to preach something other than what we preached originally. Let him be accursed. Let's let's pause here for just a minute. Because here's what Paul's saying. I came to you and I preached the gospel. We established elders in the church. We established, uh, we got things up and running. And then we've gone on. And here come the Judaizers. And Paul is saying... Even if I show up again and preach to you an amended form. Oh, you know, I didn't tell you this last time I was here, Dwight, so I, I need to add something here. He says, even if I, the one who preached it originally, show up and start doing some amendments on the original message I preached to you, may I be accursed. He doesn't even give room for himself. I discipled under a pastor as a youth pastor at the Magic Valley Christian Center in Twin Falls, Idaho. Under a man of God who was a word preaching. He's the one guy that helped me come to fall in love with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he warned me when I was under his tutelage and I was being shaped to his knee. He warned me about the dangers of the word of faith gospel. You know that you hook your wagon to Jesus' star, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? And if you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise, then you must have wormy faith. There must be sin in your life, because if there wasn't sin in your life, you would be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And he, he, he taught me the fallacies of that gospel. And a few years later, when I was pastoring the Moab Christian Center in Moab, Utah, I invited my mentor to come and do some special services for us, and his first Sunday in the pulpit, he preached health and wealth, just, I am going, what in the world? I mean, I was blown away. It was a different gospel, and he was even saying, and don't be surprised one day when I'm flying my private jet with a dove on the tail, and I'm dying a thousand deaths. Because it was a different gospel. And when he was done preaching, I said, what was that? And I I mean, it was more respectful than that because he was my mentor. But it was basically, what is that? And he says, well, I've had a change of heart on this. I've had a change of heart. And the next Sunday, as painful as it was, I went before the congregation and I said, what you got last Sunday was a false gospel. And do you know how much that hurt when this was my mentor? Oh, it hurt. But it was no gospel at all. And That's what Paul is saying here. He says... Even if I show up again on the scene, the one who preached it to you originally, and I bring an amended version of that gospel, may I be accursed. And then he goes so far as to say, even if an angel claiming to be from heaven shows up and brings a gospel contrary, let him be accursed. I want you to know, my friends, that the Judaizers are still among us. The Judaizers are are healthy and vital and alive and still moving among the true followers of Jesus Christ. And how do we recognize the Judaizers? We recognize them like this. Jesus plus something. It's Jesus and... But the truth and what Paul is saying here, it's no gospel at all. Because Jesus plus something equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's how you recognize the Judaizers. It's Jesus plus. There's something I need to add. Now let me tell you that God, John goes, or Paul goes on in the Ephesians and he talks about we're not saved by works. But what does he tell us the natural outgrowth of true spiritual life is? Good works. But it's a works that is the fruit of our salvation, never the source of our salvation. We will never improve our standing before God one iota through good works. Did you see that one, God? I went to church twice last week. I not only gave tithe in the offering box, but when Travis came through a few weeks ago, I even wrote a check to him. Were you watching, God? Were you watching? Nothing is gained if the works in our life just do not flow from an overwhelming love and appreciation of the grace of God that has redeemed us and now keeps us and moves us on That's how you recognize the Judaizers. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science, and many other sects are Jesus plus something Gospels. I was raised in the heart of Mormonism. I ministered for 13 years in Moab, Utah, in the heart of Mormonism. Where did Joseph Smith get his gospel? From an angel who claimed to be from heaven. And what did Moroni, this angel who claimed to be from heaven, bring to Joseph Smith there in Palmyra, New York? He brought a restored gospel of Jesus Christ plus something. Are you with me? And that's the same of all the sex. Jesus plus Jesus and Jesus plus another book Jesus plus another trick Jesus plus another work Jesus plus another this Jesus plus another that Jesus plus something is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And upon those who would bring a false and truncated gospel, Paul has pronounced a divine curse. And he talks about this other gospel both in 1 Corinthians and Colossians as well. We won't go there this morning. Then, Paul ends this paragraph by saying something to those who accused him of being people-pleasers. He wrote, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I want you to listen to this. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. During one of his sermons, Jesus said that it is impossible to serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. I know that he was speaking about money when he said that, but what he said there also applies to anything else that may become an idol in our life. We cannot serve two masters. So the question here, the question that is begged here is, will we be servants of God or will we be servants of man? Often we hear the word peer pressure. And when we hear it, we tend to think of junior high school or high school. I'll tell you what, peer pressure is something that's going to dog your steps to the grave. I can remember in high school, I was thinking of this the other day. You know, we were all individuals, right? And if you could have cut everybody off at the waist in my high school and just looked down the hall from waist down, everybody was wearing penny loafers. White socks and Levi 501s. But you know what? We were all original. Doing our own thing. But heaven help it that my own thing looked different than somebody else's own thing. Right? Come on. And, and we like, oh, those teenagers. Oh, you don't have to look any further than the mirror in your bathroom to see someone who is tempted and tested about peer pressure All the time. In fact, here's the truth. When people are bigger in your life than God is, then God is small. But when God is big, then people are small. Proverbs says this, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The most radical treatment for fear of man issues is a healthy fear of the Lord. God must be bigger than people are in your life. God must be bigger than your husband. God must be bigger than your wife. God must be bigger than your boss. God must be bigger than your friends or your peers or you'll find yourself adjusting your life to please them instead of God. Your desire to please God must be greater than your desire to please people. Remember Paul's words? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Oh, my friends, this is one of those places that I could preach the next month of Sundays because personally this has been one of my struggles over the years. And also, I don't think there's a person in ministry that hasn't had to deal with fear of man issues somewhere along the way. Fear of man is insidious. The one thing I was even thinking about this week as I was walking and talking with God, somehow or other, God has always given me the courage to speak this straight from this pulpit. He's made me brave here. Where I've had my fear of man issues has been outside of the pulpit. I look back and I look at my, my early years in ministry and even my early years as I came to Pastor Sierra Bible Church in 1991 of putting in 60 and 70 hour work weeks and uh, having to come to a place one day of realizing that it wasn't God that was requiring that of me. It was me. It cost my family. There were times that my children needed dad and they got Pastor Wayne there were times my wife needed Wayne and she got Pastor Wayne there were times I left family events there was times I left my bed in the middle of the night to faithfully be at somebody's side through their crisis and looking back there were there was only a handful of those crises that uh, wouldn't have kept till morning. My family never, never begrudged the real crisis. In fact, I spent a Christmas day with the Johansons a few years ago as Bobby's mom passed away on Christmas Day. And once the presents were opened at our house, I went to the Johanssons' house. And my family understood that. But there were other times. Oh, my. Oh, my. What does being a man-pleaser look like? Well, when one finds themselves overcommitted or find it hard to say no, even when wisdom dictates that they should, they are being people-pleasers, which is just another euphemism for the fear of man. You know how to say no? it's appropriate to say no. We don't because of fear of man. If self-esteem is a reoccurring thing for you, if you are concerned of how you look before others and your life revolves around what others might think of you, that makes you a people pleaser. One who is motivated... By the fear of man. What they may say, what they may think, what they may do. Or maybe there's a sense that, you know, there's this big phony that lives inside of me and I know it, but if people really knew who I really was, and boy, if if that guy ever gets exposed, if people really knew, that is an expression of fear of man. You see how easy it is to be manipulated and jerked around? Not because of what God has called us to do or God has called us to be, but because what the expectations of those around us are. And I found this many times. I thought somebody else had expectations. They had no expectations at all. (laughs) Come on. You know, we're always thinking about what they're going to think of me. Well, the truth is they're not thinking of you. And so you work yourself into a lather. And they're not thinking about you. They care less. You know why? Because they're too busy thinking of what everybody's going to think of them. Remember what Paul said? If I'm attempting to please man, I am no longer a servant of Christ. I can't serve God in and man at the same time. One thing I love to say, and I love this sense, you know that uh, the throne of the human heart isn't a two-seater. There's only one room for one person on the throne of your heart today. And either Jesus is sitting on that throne today or you're sitting on that throne. It's not half of your cheek and half of his trying to share the same throne. It's not a two seater, it's a one seater. And it's either Jesus is on that throne today or you're on that throne today. And don't think that you and I aren't going to struggle with this after we leave here today. What do people think? How am I going to do? <laughs> because I don't have time to really peel this onion this morning. Can I recommend a book to you? When People Are Big by Edward T. Welch. Overcoming Peer Pressure and Codependency and the Fear of Man. This book, along with two brothers, who were in this service this morning saved my ministry many years ago when God exposed this in my life for what it was. And I don't know how many months we spent together going through this book chapter by chapter going to the word going to prayer but these two brothers saved my life. I've often said from this pulpit that uh, any place that God has either saved you from me or saved me from me, it has been through the words of faithful brothers in Christ who dared to look me in the eye and say, Wayne, your slip is showing. You may not see this, but. When I wrote the book, The One Another Project, that's one of the things that God has called us into, a body that we submit to one another and we give ourselves to one another and we pray for one another and we live with one another and we do all this stuff. But also in that one anothering, it leaves room for my brothers and sisters to speak into my life when my life outside of this pulpit isn't adding up to what I'm saying in the pulpit. Where repentance can be sought and... Life can be gained. And I'll tell you what, my life was saved. My ministry life was saved by these two brothers coaching me through this book. Not only did I need the message of this book, I needed to be held accountable by someone with flesh and bone on them. Someone who loved me enough to tell me the truth. I needed to be redirected to the one and only master that I have been called to serve and obey to this day. And let me say this. This is what I learned. If I am endeavoring to please man, I cannot call myself a servant of God. But if I am a true servant of God, I can serve man without an unhealthy need for their approval. Paul was accused of being a man-pleaser. He was accused of bringing a gospel. They, they thought it was an easy gospel. They need to read the 11th chapter of Second Corinthians, don't they? What did the gospel cost Paul? Oh, a night and a day in the deep, you know, beatings, stonings, left is dead, He says in another place at the end of Galatians, he says, I bear in my body the brand marks of the Lord. And If I were out to please man, I'll tell you what. I think I'd preach a little health and wealth. <laughs> Hook your wagon to Jesus' star. And he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. I was listening to one of those Judaizers on TV this morning. And if I wouldn't have to buy another one, I'd like to throw my shoe through it. I, I don't know why I do this to myself, but you know, I'm up about 4.30 every morning, so I make myself a cup of coffee, and I sit down and try on TV, and there's this one show on, Oh, David. <laughs> it's all health and wealth. It's send in your seed. Send in your seed. I have never heard them once proclaim the gospel. Ever! I've never heard them once talk about sin and the wrath of God against sin and the gospel of grace that releases man from the wrath of God. But boy, send me a $1,000 seed and I'll promise you the next 90 days are going to be the best days of your life! It's working for them. I don't know how well it's working for the people sending in the seed but they're Judaizers. It's a different gospel. Oh, my friends, hang on tight to the gospel. Hang on tight to your Bible. Remember what I've told you for the last 29 years. When it becomes, when what comes out of this pulpit, be it Pastor Jesse or myself or whoever, when it doesn't add up with the message of this book, get rid of the guy in the pulpit and keep the book because as Pastor Jesse has said if you read something in the Bible you don't agree with it's because you're wrong we stand on his truth and hopefully we do it without thinking oh I wonder what Karen's going to think I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I don't care what Karen thinks. But when I leave this pulpit, I want to be able to go back to my office and look the one in the face who's called me to proclaim his word and hear from him. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, there's a whole lot in this verse, these verses. A call to embrace and hold to the true gospel. The gospel of faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, according to the word alone. For your glory alone. And Father inside of every one of us in this room. I know it's a safe message to preach today. There are times that we've all succumbed to peer pressure or maybe even now. There have been times over the years that individuals have come to my office and have literally had to give their resignation at work because they were being asked to compromise their own integrity for a boss that was heading down a wrong road. And that's tough when there's a paycheck attached to it. But peer pressure hits us almost as soon as we walk. And peer pressure will be there downing our steps as we are breathing our last breath. And how do we overcome the peer pressure, the fear of man, the people-pleasing entities that Fill our hearts and lives by falling in love with you, Lord Jesus. And fearing more to offend you and to grieve you than to offend or grieve those around us. And of course, Lord, we need your wisdom and we need your discernment. We need your guidance. But Father I pray for my brothers and sisters today I pray for those who may be struggling at this very moment with peer pressure that they somebody came to their mind as I was speaking that boy I got to keep him happy I've got to keep her happy I got to keep them happy Oh I've got to look good in this arena Dear God set us free, set us free to be pleasers of Jehovah God, your Christ Jesus, our Lord, under the guidance and direction of your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray.